Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The Ad News Podcast. The podcast that celebrates the industry's penchant for a sociable drop and a chat. Welcome to the Ad News Podcast. I'm Rosie Baker. I'm the editor of Ad News. We're here for the end of year wrap up and I'm joined by the editorial team, Pippa Chambers, our online editor and journalist Lindsay Bennett and Arvin Hickman. Hi. Hello. (laughs) We're going to do a wrap up of the biggest stories, the biggest issues and the big trends that affected the industry in 2017. So we're going to look at the winners, the losers, the big stories, the things that everyone was really talking about. And then we're going to wrap up by having a look at the top 10 ads that we picked as our favourite for the year. So Pippa's going to kick us off with a few questions. Okay, excellent. Well, I want to start by uh, talking about the biggest stories of 2017. As digital editor of Ad News, obviously I'm across all the stats, but it's not just about what is the most well-read. It's about what has had the biggest impact on our industry so far this year. Um, So I'm just going to flick it to you guys to talk about, uh, you know, for you to say what you feel is a big story for this year, uh, what made some big impacts. So Rosie, I'm going to start with you. So for me, um, I was going to kick off and not really talk about a specific story, but talk about an overall trend. Um, And it's something that we talked about in our annual issue this year. And that overall theme was trust. And for me, I think that that really did kind of cover off everything in the year that was a big issue. And that's both in our industry and politically and socially and economically and how trust and truth were were basically shattered this year in all in all areas. So if you look at politics, you look at Trump in the US, you look at the Australian government, A lot of people's trust in government here was completely shaken. When you look at um, trust in the media, that's, that's, you know, at a fairly low point, generally speaking. When you look at our industry, there's issues of trust in relationships between clients and agencies, in contract negotiations. There's trust in brand promises that brands make and how they deliver that. There's trust in measurement issues, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on. There's broken trust in all areas of the industry. And so we made that our big theme of the annual this year. And I think that really does typify what a lot of 2017 was about for me and I'm just going to read something that I wrote in my editorial for um for that issue and Lindsay always laughs at this because it's a bit overly dramatic but I think it really does sum up some of my thoughts for the year so I wrote that in 2017 it can only be defined by one thing which is the shattering of trust every which way you look trust was decimated like a wine glass dropped on a kitchen floor which I'm quite familiar with or like a broken window, a cracked mirror looking back at the world with tiny fragments of what was previously taken for granted, believed in and relied upon, now laying scattered on the ground. 
dramatic, maybe, but I think that's good. So over to you guys for what the bigger stories actually were. I just also just want to add on the trust points. We talk about this year was really big for brand trust and all these issues, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, some of the ads going in the wrong spots. But when we actually go back to a couple of years ago and we had the big Mediacom scandal, that was massive and that was a big trust thing then. Um, do you argue that maybe is, you know, why is it so much worse this year? We've just found out about more, you know, and was that actually the start of the broken trust back then? Or is it something that actually it's always been there? We're just digging around a little bit more now. I think maybe you're right. It's always been there, but it's something that if it hasn't gone away, the kind of the pressure and the steam only builds. Like if, if broken, if trust has been broken and it hasn't been fixed yet, then the issues just get worse and worse. And probably this is um, probably something Arvin's going to talk about for what he thinks were the biggest stories of the year. I mean, that probably fits right in with what you're talking about, right? Yeah, it absolutely does. And as people said, trust has been an issue in the media industry for some time. I think where this all sort of started and kicked off, there are a couple of tension points here. But one of the tension points is that digital has really disrupted media and the traditional players are all struggling. And what happened basically the last of the year when Facebook came out and admitted that their metrics were wrong um, and they had a series of these admissions, a lot of traditional media players looked at this and, and basically used it or used it as leverage to um, sort of show people that trust in digital isn't as, as, as clean as it should be. I think that's really continued this year. If I look at some of the bigger issues this year, it's definitely in trusting metrics, trusting measurement. Um, one of the things that we sort of looked at or exposed was um, Facebook's reach. Um, just a very simple example. You can basically reach more people in a country in, um, on Facebook of a certain age group than actually exists now, basic things like that, when you when it builds up onto all these other digital metrics um, where trust is an issue, it sort of snowballs into this much bigger industry-wide thing. But I think it's really important to note that it's not just digital where trust is lacking. I think you'll find there are issues of trust in outdoor. We also did a story this year which sort of um, illustrated that, and that's definitely an issue. And even some of the radio metrics that I've seen, um, questions can be raised there. So... I think what you're seeing is a, is a lot of different media channels are now struggling with measurement and a lot of marketers are now demanding greater transparency. And that's really where the key difference is. I think a big part of that is also that it's um it's as things get more complicated, right? It's more difficult to trust in what's always been there because the the landscape shifted so much. So it's it's different we're dealing with different things and different challenges that that we don't understand so much that are much more complex. There's a lot more sophistication going on so therefore you know you can't just blindly trust what's always been because everything's so completely different and talking about you know the the issues with facebook measurement or whether it's outdoor radio or whatever channels one of the biggest brand trust issues this year was um was with google and youtube and that that was both about being able to trust the platform but it also came down to trusting content and that's something that's always been a big thing for media you know look at newspapers they've always had issue you know if you're an advertiser in a newspaper there's always been an issue with what content you're going to be placed against so that whole brand trust and safety thing might have been this year really focused on youtube and the stuff there but it's actually a much wider media problem about content and i think it's actually reaching boardroom level as well and that's where you're seeing a lot more pressure on marketers you're getting cfos and other c-suite people who are looking at these headlines in the times and everywhere else in the world including ad news and they're basically saying why is my brand next to this really dodgy content or why are we investing in a platform that claims it can reach more people than actually exists? So I think you're seeing an escalation of these issues that previously marketers might have turned a blind eye to, but are no longer being afforded that luxury. So I think that's another reason why this has sort of become such a major thing. 
I was just gonna, so in terms of some of the Facebook metrics, and we know there were you know some questionable metrics there. It seemed that people kept putting their money into it, whereas with the uh, with the, the YouTube and the Googles and the, and the brand association there with that negative content, they stopped spending. What does it actually take on the metric side of things to actually stop people from putting money in? I, I think um, that's not entirely the case. I think Facebook definitely did suffer a little bit as a result of this. How much in the overall scheme of things, it's very hard to say. Um, I think it depends market by market, really. But I, I, I think corporate pressure is really the major one. Um, if you're getting people like Mark Pritchard, who's coming out and saying, we have a transparency and trust issue, we're not going to spend so much money in digital or in, in some other uh, media channel, that's really where the big players start um, taking a pause and, and taking note and having to come clean and say, you know what, we need to fix this. And that's what YouTube has done very effectively. And, you know, I think Facebook is trying to do things behind the scenes. Mm. Perhaps they're not as open about it as, as what some people in the media like myself would like, like them to be. But, you know, I think it, it has become an issue for them. Um, more corporate pressure is really the only way that this is going to resolve um, with these ma massive um, com corporations. And I think going into 2018, I think we will definitely see a lot more of that from, from Google. Google's made a lot of step, steps this year and from Facebook as well. I think that they have really taken that on board, that there's a lot of people in the market who maybe haven't been satisfied. I mean, beyond us as journalists, but people in the market who are advertisers, who are big brands, who spend money with them, that they haven't maybe been as satisfied with the kind of the response. And I think going into 2018, there will be a lot of activity from Facebook as well as other players in the market to really kind of clean things up because I think it really is being taken Seriously, but so that's that's probably enough on brand safety yeah, and trust to say, kick off with. Bit of a heavy, a heavy going start. So, say so we could talk about brand safety mm. and transparency. I would say like the the positive of brand safety um, has been the rise of publishers. Um, I guess on the attack and being proactive and saying, you know, Facebook and. Google aren't the safest brand environments, but we, we can be. And if you look around, not just in this market, but globally, News Corp, Fairfax, New York Times, um, they've all pushed campaigns that have um, promoted their brand safe environments. And they've seen an um, increase in digital subscriptions and print subscriptions off the back of it. So whilst it can be negative, there's a nice positive mm. if we're going to wrap up that, mm. there, there that is, topic. And hopefully it, it pushes metrics with some of these larger walled garden players and, and they actually allow verification firms to go in there and to interrogate at source. There needs to be greater transparency in the way that these these media companies report performance because until we fully have that, I think a lot of media agencies, folks, uh, media buyers, they're going to be still be sceptical and marketers, the, the cluey ones, will be sceptical as well. But I just want to make one final point about the whole transparency piece. <laughs> Whenever you get big corporates coming out and saying, we're transparent, we're transparent, we're transparent, and then they're not even declaring the right amount of Australian revenue that they make in a country to avoid tax, yeah. I think it's a pretty weak argument. I think if you're going to say, I'm transparent, then you either do the honest thing and say, this is how much tax I pay, or how much revenue I make and how much tax I pay in it, or don't bother, because it's, it's just not a great look. Mm. And it's not just Facebook and Google who do this. Mm. Can anyone tell this is Arvin's passion point? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's good, but if, you know, holding everyone to account is what we should be doing. Linz, for you and, you know, your patch, you cover creative agencies as well as the publishers. What for you kind of stands out as being, you know, one of the biggest stories of the year? I think undeniably it's consultancies um, coming in and their impact on creative agencies this year. It kicked off quite early in the year with um, Accenture buying the monkeys and I think we collectively lost our shit in the office <laughs> when that announcement came through. We definitely through. did. I think the only other thing that kind of matched that in terms of um, fever pitch in the office this year was when MNC Saatchi bought Bohemia. 
Yeah. Yes, yeah. And they, they, you know, that was another big trend and creative and media coming back together um, has been a huge trend as well as consultancies. But yeah, undeniably consultancies have dominated the headlines um, in terms of creative agencies. Uh, it kicked off, you know, more acquisitions um, and investments. PwC took the stake in Thinkabell. Um, RxP bought the works. And I think that's really set the tone and just put some questions out of what 2018 will look like and, and what if that model will be the future for creative agencies. Um, so, yeah, I think that's been probably the biggest impact on creative agencies this year and definitely one that will continue to be controversial next year. I think not just creative agencies as well. I think media agencies. I mean, <clears throat> the Wavemaker was formed this year, a merger between MEC and Maxis. And, you know, it's not so long ago that Publicis Media merged a few of its agencies. So I certainly believe market consolidation across the media and creative landscape is something we're going to watch see a lot more of in the next year. I think we'll absolutely be seeing lots more sort of changes to agency models. And I think the holding company model is something that's definitely kind of up for a bit of review. And I think that all the major groups are already looking at that and they're already making changes. You know, WPP um, globally has had its kind of horizontality horizontality model. Um, that, ne that word never gets any easier to say. Um, you know, and Publicis has kind of developed in the last year a big thing about its Publicis One model where, um, you know, their new global CEO has kind of brought in a whole new approach to how the how the business works together globally across the agency brands and making more of a, a holding company level um, strategy. And I think that that really does shake up the way that agencies have always worked and the way that the um, that the industry always operates. I think that that's going to be a really interesting thing that we'll continue to see. I mean, Lindsay, just this week, you've been writing a couple of stories about um, pitches, which are look where clients are looking for more of a, a holding company group model so that they're looking for agencies within a particular group to whether it's to drive efficiencies or to make, um, you know, make their media, creative, digital and other specialist agencies work better together. And I think mm. that that's a that's a huge trend. Yeah, we saw Bankwest um, appoint WPPs at, at a holding group pitch and I think seven agencies internally will work there. And um, today I wrote that Campbell Arnott's um, is looking for the, the same sort of idea, which, which is quite interesting because it actually cancels out the consultants. Um, for example, you know, I, I was speaking to one of the new consultancies models and they said they weren't, they, they can't be considered for Campbell Arnott's. So if, if the industry is going to go that way, does that make the consultancy model ineffective? Um, I don't know if, it, yeah, I don't know if it does. I think the consultancies have definitely shaken things up and have definitely put pressure on um, agency groups, creative and media, to perhaps provide a more holistic range of services. But I think marketers as well, you know, marketers are under a lot of stress. They're overworked. There's not enough resource in, in a lot of their teams. They don't want to be dealing with all these different people covering different areas. Um, that's certainly the feedback that I get from some of the marketers that I speak to. So I think this is just the way of the future. Mm. I think so. I think it just goes to show as well that it, there is no one model that works for everyone. Different clients have different objectives. They have different business needs, they want to they want to achieve different things. And so there will always need to be a number of different models. And I think that that's just becoming more and more true um, as time goes on. And as I said before, as things get more complex, like, and a client will need something different. And whether it's a holding company model that delivers that, whether it's a consultancy model that delivers that, whether it's different specialist agencies from across different groups, which each provide their different thing, that will work or not work depending on that relationship and the 
the objectives and the routes that they set. There, there's no, never going to be one silver bullet, and I think that's what keeps it mm. keeps it really interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think like next year will definitely be a year that we'll see rosters consolidate. Optus has already done that this year and took a lot of um, capabilities in house. I think that will be a big trend. I just don't think we're going to see another Optus roster from you know 2015, 2016. I, I just don't think that clients can cope with having all those different agencies and the internal pitches it's just it's just not um an effective model yeah no so i think we'll see a lot more holding group pitches and a lot more global alignments i think consolidation is probably not something that just happens to agencies as well so pippa your kind of patch is the ad tech patch there's been a lot of consolidation this year in that space what's the background of that yeah i mean i guess there has it was predicted i guess the year before there was going to be a lot more consolidation and it has happened this year um we've seen that as well as that we've seen shrinking teams so a lot of some of those ad tech companies that really ramped up and started saying oh we've hired 10 people we've hired 20 people they're scaling back some of that senior talent has also kind of disappeared they maybe have gone off into singapore to do something different or they've kind of moving around they've maybe dabbled in a programmatic consultancy and then kind of left this space so i think definitely this year there's been consolidation there has been again some of that talent kind of fading out, some shrinking teams, you know, and even I guess with AdRoll recently, you know, pulling back from Australia, closing the office, uh, or, you know, actually just keeping some junior people there um, signals quite a lot to the market. Do we need people in the ground? Do we actually need people to be actively out selling in Australia? And if you can manage it from somewhere else, I mean, I don't know, there's a question there about how, I, don't, I guess, what the importance of it or how that company sees Australia as a priority. Uh, similar with Comscore, you know, they do argue that services are still here and it's very much, you know, it can be run from anywhere. Um, but I think, I guess, kind of moving from the big issues of this year into what's going to happen next year, I think we'll see a lot more of this next year. I think there'll be mu- more consolidation. There's been more rumblings about certain ad tech companies and actually how successful they're being. Um I think some of them launched with the kind of the bells and the whistles and we can do this and marketers were kind of like, oh, wow, that sounds great. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, we'll we'll take you on board. Whereas in actuality, they don't really need them or they've maybe started asking the right questions and they can do a few things themselves. So I think that's, uh, yeah, definitely a big trend for next year. Um, so can I just ask you on that, that point? Um, do you think some of this comes back to what Pritchard was saying, that sort of murky digital space where all these bells and whistles are being added on? Yeah. And do you think that's, that's sort of a pricked marketers' ears? Or- yeah, I think I think that there's a large chunk of that is down to some of these ad tech companies and, uh, you know, it gets shoved and blamed on like, oh, it's just programmatic, it's all dirty, it's all murky. But actually there's so many companies within that. And I, and I know of various companies that, you know, offer these... Thing or things that they claim to do, whereas actually marketers can make a couple of little tech changes themselves and can do these things themselves. But because they haven't asked the right questions and these ad tech companies aren't volunteering all that information, they're not aware that they can do it. Mm. So I think when you dress things up and it just becomes a really good sales story or a good marketing tactic. for. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. These ad tech companies. Um, obviously, I don't want to kind of detract from the, the um, some amazing companies that are doing awesome things and that, you know, publishers or brands can't do without. But I think having that kind of lack of honesty, honesty and openness about what they're offering um, it's, it's kind of well, we'll potentially. That's something that I've heard of as well. You got quite an, not, I don't know how many, but a proportion of the industry, the ad tech industry, are really just white labelled firms yeah. with shiny yeah. coats. Yeah. Well, it was more than it was more than a year ago that we had a cover feature that was about you know how much of ad tech is snake oil. Yeah, and I think that while you know ad tech and martech is a hugely vital part of the whole ecosystem, and you know the industry wouldn't be operating without ad tech. That just you know it's a realistic and a viable part of the industry, but there is a certain you know, portion of that bit of the ecosystem or, you know, landscape or whatever you want to call it, that that there is, that you know, it comes back to lack of trust, that people mm. don't necessarily trust in what those services are or what if they're delivering what they're delivering. Yeah. And I think that it all comes back to trust. Mm. And a lot of that does come down to the marketers kind of, you know, getting more savvy, educating themselves, knowing to ask the right question. Because it's one thing being able to ask one or two questions, but when you get given the answer, can you go further and ask more questions? Uh, whereas a lot of them don't. You know, there's a few tech-savvy marketers, which are often I find are more kind of digitally skewed in their titles it's not necessarily a cmo or i don't know i just think um and maybe they're not sat better. with the rest of the marketing team pardon i said maybe they're not sat with the rest yeah, of the marketing maybe, team. yeah yeah and maybe not sat with it so i think kind of just just want to try and move us on to trends uh for next year um i definitely think there's we're going to see some interesting trends there um uh in terms of what's happening also, I think Amazon, I know I didn't, we didn't mention it before in some of the biggest stories of the year, just quickly, but I think Amazon obviously fully launched to market, you know, with its whole product listing this year. And I think that's going to be something that uh, we're going to see a lot of changes next year. I think it's rattled a few people and I think rightfully so. Um, I think uh, one part of me, you know, I feel sorry for some of the retailers that might suffer or the bookshops and I definitely have that, you know, compassionate side. But then I also kind of think there's an element of, of some people have maybe had it coming. I think if you haven't got yourself together and you haven't sorted out your online delivery or good customer service or customer experience um i think it's going to be a big wake-up call and i think you know kind of rightfully mm. so for some of those brands i mean hopefully it will push you know coles worse david jones to do some great advertising um because i think if you look at the coles and worse christmas ads compared to amazon's um they just maybe but then how far can flat. that ad, ad take you know i know that for example I've not had a great experience with Maya and their home delivery. It was late. It came with a mark on it. All those things. Mm. Um, I don't really care how good their ads are because I know that the, I know them well enough now to know that the service is not the type of service that I would like. So I agree. I think it would be great if they had some great marketing or, or you know bigger marketing splashes or great ads. But I actually think they need to sort the services out before they sort the marketing out. That's where it all comes down to a brand promise being a bit bigger than just the advertising. So the advertising is one part of it, but the brand promise has to be delivered through the experience and the Customer experience, and I think that's what Amazon has nailed overseas. And you know, Pippa and I are British, um, obviously coming from having had Amazon in our lives. I've spent a long time in the UK, so we're all very familiar with the the service levels that they can deliver. And I think that rightly so, if Amazon's arrival in Australia, it can push other retailers, other brands to deliver that kind of seamless, really positive experience then then that can only be a good thing you know it it's not necessarily going to be positive for all retailers and brands but there's a huge opportunity there for for brands and retailers to get on board and kind of raise the standard for for everyone and i think that um arvin i think you probably know a little bit more about this than i do but um but there's beyond the kind of retail side of things the in the you know uh, the average the amazon arrival is a much bigger thing in terms of 
media and 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 other elements as well i i I totally agree i think this is sort of the thing that isn't spoken about as much is the impact that amazon will have on on the media landscape Uh, take search for example if you if you're in the uk and you want to buy i don't know a dvd a book computer game whatever it might be you don't go to google to search for it you go to amazon um i did an article not so long ago which showed that in the us more people were looking for products go straight to Amazon, they almost dominate that form of search. Mm. So that, that has a massive flow-on effect to not only Google, but all the how the agencies interact with Amazon. And you know, Amazon has only just started its own advertising products um, within its ecosystem. And if, if it ramps that up in a serious way, that, that's another platform where marketers could find really good value. So yeah, I think there are a lot of flow-on effects for this industry. Early days yet, um, you know, I think in the, on the retail side, what, we, what I hope it does is it really, as Pippa said, it lifts services, um, not just um, e-commerce services, but bricks and mortar services as well. If you're going to attract people to your store, you now have to have a very good customer service and a very good customer experience. So I think we can expect to see a lot more investment in that side of things as well. I hope so. <laughs> um, any other, uh, we are sort of, we're going to have to wrap up shortly. Uh what about any other trends for next year? Obviously, we had uh, the CBS and Ten acquisition. Yeah, do you think I mean that's a that's huge one. That's going to shake up the market quite a lot. Um, uh, yes, yes, I do. I mean, obviously, Ten had a few um, debt debt problems. Uh, what I think it'll it's been do a roller coaster of a year for Ten. I think <laughs> it's it been a massive year. It's looking a little bit yeah. for a while, but I think that it, you know, with yeah. the CBS acquisition going through, it it shows twenty eighteen is going to be a big strong year for it them. Came back up at the end with Sophie Monk. Sure, hit a high. I think the problems with Ten haven't always, well, in recent times, haven't been so much programming. It's been underlying debt issues that they've had. CBS really gives them a lot more financial muscle and might. And and I think it'll definitely help them in in the medium to long term in terms of programming and really being able to run a more efficient um, Mm. business. So I expect Tend to be much stronger. It won't happen overnight. It'll take some time. But I think once they get fully geared up with CBS, I think that they'll have a very positive effect on on the industry. The two trends that I I think we need to speak about that probably haven't been spoken about so much, in the TV space, there's addressability and the Mm. promise of address advertising and programmatic trading and automation that, that's that's obviously they a big been one. promising the address you know i feel like addressability has been promised for a long time but i think it's becoming it, a reality it's now, becoming really. a reality seven's already done it they, they've already started doing it yep, with their with their rugby league world cup nine's going to bring it on next nick um, on board next year and we know that mcn i mean they're ch- generally ahead of the game in this sort of stuff mm-hmm. so we can expect to see some um programmatic stuff on tv from them next year so i think that'll have a, a dramatic effect on um, the way that people buy um media um, not not just spot buying and, and trans and making that more um, based on audiences and guarantees, but also just in terms of being able to tailor advertising experiences to audiences, which is something that digital players have always had an advantage with. The other thing that I think um, will be a major thing is addressability. Sorry, not addressability. Done that. Attribution. <laughs> attribution. Um, I think attribution is one area that a lot of people are struggling with it and nobody's quite nailed and but it's again i feel like we said this last year and the year before but, but nobody's nobody's doing anything about it and I, I think on. they it, you know that that underpins everything mm. how do you prove performance how do you pr- prove um effectiveness because surely that would be the first thing that you would do as a it, you want to know where your money's i remember going. when i when i first moved over to australia for this ad news job one of the first marketers that i interviewed was Stuart tucker who um, he just moved jobs. He was a combank for a long time at the time. He was at Aussie um, Aussie Home Loans, and I was asking him questions about attribution and how he how he measured the performance of his marketing. And he was like, "A journalist has never asked me that before. That is a great question. It's difficult. This is how we try and do it. You know, it can't be done." 
100% yet we're still working out models and I think that's still true we're trying to marketers are still trying to figure all those things out but it's very difficult to link up all the different bits but as a marketer that should be your number one priority to know done, what's working is, people are doing it obviously there's a big I think there's a you cost you can do digital attribution well. you yeah, can you do, do different last areas but it doesn't really come together linking it all up as to who saw your outdoor ad who saw your print ad who saw yeah, that I think when you go into offline as well but there's some offline basic is the, is online attribution thing, yeah. that is not being done online attribution is fine it's just combining the offline and the online and having an I don't know, a, a sort of more holistic mm. view of how different um, touch points really impact that consumer journey. I think that's something the media agencies are definitely looking into. But, yeah, that, that's one of the big ones that I would, I would call out. Mm. I think lastly, just to finish on, um, I cover publishing and I just covered, uh, I guess the d- demise is probably a strong word, but a little bit of a demise of digital publishing and publishers like BuzzFeed that was once the beacon of what every publisher wanted to be. And you saw so many people try and rip off their um, tasty model, which is their food publishing model. Um, It's just had to make a lot of redundancies globally. Um, I've heard rumours that that has also come to Australia. Same with Vice, same with Mashable. Um, These were businesses that News Corp and Fairfax wanted to be like, that publishers were copying their tactics and and trying to make their their content just like theirs and, you know, rely on Facebook and they're all in decline and they're all missing their financial targets. Um, I think next year will be a defining year for those publishers and sadly I don't, I, I think there'll be many more redundancies and, and it comes down to I guess m- making your model reliant on Facebook when you know Facebook changes the algorithm and you lose your business model or, or not making it reliant on Facebook yeah well exactly yeah, but the businesses that have are now seeing you know BuzzFeed built its business around Facebook and it's now at the hands of that company and I don't really think you know that that was that's working out too well for them. Yeah. Really news Corp Fairfax are going to win out. I, yeah, I think Fairfax. Um, they both have some really new strong leadership. Um, Matt Rowley has done an in- incredibly interesting commercial restructure. He's got rid of his agency teams and put in um, ten commercial teams to each vertical. So there's an auto team that's now led by the CMO of Volvo. That that's interesting. That's not what I've seen being done and I think those moves from those companies that have the resources to do it and are pouring the money into thinking about the next model of publishing are actually going to be the ones that might come out on top again next year. I mean, I think we're all journalists in the room. We obviously, we work in publishing. It's an industry that's very dear to our hearts. No one wants to see the demise of any type of publisher. But I think that what you're talking about, Lindsay, is kind of accurate in that you look at, you know, those digital publishers were kind of seen as the new generation or the new era or the kind of new frontier of publishing. But there's a lot to be said for consistency and sustainable business. And I think that that's what a company like News Corp or Fairfax with the scale and weight that they have, they can play the long game. And, you know, it was looking a little sketchy for a while for, you know, circulation figures, um, you know, ad revenue figures, but they've got the sort of the longevity to take a long-term view of their strategy and make decisions and kind of, you know, go with the ebb and the flow. And sometimes mm-hmm. things aren't going to go your way and then sometimes you're going to come back on top. And I think that, you know, it, it says a lot for the strength of brands that have been around for a long time. And I think that's, you know, that's a good thing for marketing and brands and also publishing that you can kind of, the thing that you invest in over the long term will will win out. There's no flash in the pan success. And, and just on that, that point very quickly, I think what you said about the short-termism versus long-termism, I think that's another big issue that we're going to see play out. And it, it's all areas of business. If you're going to be very short-term focused, you're not going to be around forever. You're not going to be around for too long. You need to take a long-term view. And I think marketing and 
you know, brand building, all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's going to make a bit of a comeback um, and we all hope it does mm. because without this, I think you're going to see marketing struggling in a lot of companies. Yeah. We're actually going to have to wrap up, but we'll do a quick fire on the on that favourite ads, on the top ads, Rosie. Well, so brand building is a good way to come into talking about our top 10 ads of the year. So this is just something we do at the end of every year and it's a bit of fun. We're not looking for effectiveness here. We're not looking for the best results. We're looking for the ads that we loved and that we just, um, that, you know, that just kind of blew our minds all year. So this year, our top 10 Australian ads included uh, the Maxibon Snacker ad, which was My by favorite. Deep End. <laughs> we had the um, Airbnb Until We All Belong work from Clemenger BBDO in Melbourne. We had ANZ Hold Tight from TBWA. Aldi's Don't Waste Your Life in the Supermarket from BMF. Toyota Kluger, um, built for families from Saatchi's Saatchi. We had CHE Proximity's Cochlear Work, The Hearing Test in Disguise. Hungry Jack's Keeping It Real from Clem Sydney. We had some Movember work on Facebook from Cummins and Partners. Uh, the MLA uh, Celebrate with a Lamb Barbecue from The Monkeys. And Super Cheap Autos, Welcome to Octane Island. So a real mix of ads there, all doing different things. Some of them fun, some of them epic, some of them completely insane. Um, so, Linz, the Maxibon Snacker one, this was one I hadn't seen until the end of the year, but you said it's your favourite. Why? Yeah. Well, I actually downloaded the app. Um, no one was on it because I was the first person, obviously, and it was this app that was like Tinder for ice cream eaters, um, and you got to meet up with <laughs> people in your um, local area to eat a Maxibon. Um, didn't actually match with anyone, so oh, if anyone's using it, hit me up. <laughs> um, but it was just it was just fun. And it was it was different. It recreated iconic love scenes between these two mates that were sharing their love for a maxi bond. You know the, Titanic, the classic Titanic scene, the Titanic scene, the um, Harry met Sally scene. It was just great and um, bold work from Deep End, who doesn't get you know a huge amount of press. Um, most of the other agencies on there are pretty big networks, TWA, Saatchi, and Saatchi. Um, they're, they're big global agencies and they have a big name. Whereas Deep End, you know. Congrats to them mm. for being a small agency with bold work that was a, a clever idea, you know. Who doesn't want to go and it's on a funny. date not with a your mates? So so Pepper and I were talking on the way here. There's not that many funny ads, right? This People was a random scared. funny People ad. People need to get a sense of humor. Why aren't there enough funny ads? People talk about, oh, it's emotional. You know, look at the Qantas feels with the slow laughter song. is an emotion. Emotional. <laughs> Love is an emotion. Did you say laughs is not an emotion? No, I said it is an emotion. Oh, yeah. I was like, what? So there's the ad news tip for next um, year, guys. Make more funny ads. I mean, make I bought a Maxi Bon after that, so advertising <laughs> works. I'm going to go buy a Maxi Bon So another epic one in that list. Um, Arvind, you were quite taken with uh, Super Jeep Auto's Welcome to Octane Island when it came out. Y yes. Um, no real reason for it. It's just a beautiful ad. It's high production quality and it's just a bit of old fun, isn't it? It's, it's car porn is it's essentially car porn. what it is. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> the other one I really liked um, was also the MLA um, non-Australia Australia Day ad. I just thought it had a beautiful message behind it. It was beautifully executed and it was actually quite funny and well, well written. Mm, very mm -hmm. well written. And Pippa, you were a big uh, a, a big fan of the ANZ Hold Tight work from TBWA. Yeah, I like the ANZ Hold Tight. I think, you know, when you can take those big issues, same uh, as with uh, Clemenger and Airbnb until we all belong, I think when you can take those big issues um, and do, you know, it becomes more of a movement than just a campaign. And I think there was just some really beautiful images. It was very emotional of people, you know, holding tight, holding the hands. And I just, for me, it just hit, hit the right nerves. And I think similar with the Airbnb one and also with the Movember one, there's some 
big, you know, kind of either diversity or equality or mental health issues. And I think when brands can do cool things, memorable things uh, and create like a real kind of heartfelt impact, um, I just think it's, it's awesome. Mm. My other favourite one was um, Cochlear, which was from... Mm, um, that's a great ad. Yeah, CHE, uh, very highly awarded and just have such a clever concept. Um, it's one of those ads that I guess... It's not really a, a, a it's more campaign. It's not a short film than it is. Yeah, an yeah. It doesn't stand out, you know, on TV. But when you like sit there and watch online, um, it's just it's a hugely clever concept, and I think they did some great work this year. And I think for me, um, the humour line really um, resonates with me. So two of my favourites from our top ten this year were the Audi ad, Don't Waste Your Life in a Supermarket. This is where the <laughs> guy and his kid walk into a supermarket and then they literally spend their lifetime and the guy grows old trying to pick tomato ketchup off the shelf because there's too much choice. Um, I think the funniest thing about this is just the casting and the script is so good and there's just there's just funny moments where, you know, the old guy just yelps at the end and it's just funny. It's a good message. It's yeah. a strong retail message, but it's different to all the other retail category ads, so it's funny. And the Toyota ad where, it, you know, it looks like it's a tr- traditional car ad. The, you know, the <laughs> mum's driving the car. She's like, she's getting checked out by some hot guy in the street winds down the window and then he spies her kid in the background and he just gives her a death stare. And I think it's just great casting and it's great acting and I think that it's that really poignant moment that makes you laugh, makes you kind of resonate with that insight that makes it a great, makes it a great ad. So that kind of wraps up our top 10 ads for the year. We've whistled through them. Um, That kind of gives us the ad news rundown for the year. So thank you for tuning into the ad news podcast. You can check out all of our other podcasts from the year on our website and we'll be back in 2018. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Merry Christmas.